All right, and the book of Lamentations is a follow-up book to the book of Jeremiah, if you will. It is a, a book in which each of its chapters comprise a separate lamentation or, or a lamenting uh, of what is being experienced by the nation of Israel uh, and Judah at this time. Uh, if you read Lamentations without understanding how they got to where they are, it would be easy to get a wrong interpretation or impression of who God is. Uh, when you look at the book of Lamentations, you see the destruction of Jerusalem. But what you don't see, unless you have read prior to or have biblical familiarity enough to know the story and the background of it, is that throughout the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, they have been repeatedly called out to by God. They acknowledge here in our text their sin. They acknowledge the sins of their fathers. They, uh, they acknowledge the fact that what's going on in their lives right now is the chastening of God and the judgment of God upon sin. Uh, and it is harsh. Uh, and God's wrath is on display. I want to tell you, if we ever, uh, if we ever, and I thank God that as, as someone that knows Christ as our Savior, that we'll never really fully experience what it is to be under the wrath of God. But those that will go through that and have to endure that are uh, going to experience something that is more terrible and more fearful than anything that the earth has ever experienced. And God here is pouring out not all of His wrath, but a measure of wrath, on the people, but it's not until after decades of pouring out his heart and pleading with them and begging with them to return to him. His, his love and his mercy, his compassion have been in this time for them in this moment exhausted. And God has come to a point where he said enough is enough and things have to be set in order. And so, historically here, Israel has been the apple of God's eye. Since God promised Abraham and he brought them into his uh, leadership and guidance and has displayed his love for him, uh, he has constantly poured out his blessing upon them. And even today, uh, the Jews that have rejected Christ and uh, are still, in many cases, as a result of the dispersion of, uh, of these times, uh, are still scattered largely across the world today. Uh, you see all over the place in, in many pockets of, uh, of heavy Jewish population of people, even within the United States. You saw that in, uh, in Europe and uh, in places like that. And of course, they were exploited in, uh, in, in the Holocaust of uh, the 1930s and 40s under, under Hitler uh, and all of those things. But they are so despised because God still blesses them. They're his people. Uh, you, we, you know, you get around those communities. They're very prosperous. They're very, uh, they're very ingenuitive. They, uh, they generally know how to, uh, to make money, but it's, it's less about them knowing how than it is God blessing his people and honoring his promise to Abraham. And so even in judgment and even separated from God, God's hand of blessing is on them in a me to a measure. Uh, but here, uh, understanding that they are and have constantly been, and we've been reminded multiple times through the Scripture, the apple of God's eye, they are His great love, they have rejected Him. And they've rejected Him time and time again. 
Their rejection of them, of him has led has led them to uh, times of great peril in their history. Uh, he constantly has poured his heart out to them and has uh, has pleaded with them to return. And at times they have, and revival times of revival have come, uh, and prosperity and peace have been restored, only for them to grow complacent in their Christian life or in their walk with God and their relationship with God and to find themselves drifting back into a pattern of disobedience and sin. Uh, and then another pattern of God pouring his heart and pleading with them to return. And then uh, a time of, uh, of, of their rejecting his plea uh, until God finally has to bring judgment. And in the suffering of the judgment, then they would return. But here uh, it's on a heavier scale in the fact that uh, this has been now on going for a couple of millennia, if you will, and, and several hundred years at the very least. Uh, and they are, they are going through this process. And, and God has finally here said, listen, I have poured my heart out to you and you have rejected me. Uh, and if, if you do not repent of your sin, then I am not going to just allow you to suffer the persecution of an enemy, but they are going to utterly destroy you and scatter you across this earth. And that's what happened. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is looking back at all of his ministry throughout the book that he wrote uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God as he tells of his pleas and God's pleas and the messages that God gave for them to return. But in Lamentations, judgment has come. And by the way, my friends, understand and realize this morning that even on a personal level in our lives, whenever God is working in our hearts and, and wooing us back to Him, if we have drifted away or we're falling away, uh, once judgment starts, it must run its course before God brings it to a conclusion. God has pled with them, and many times you see them. God answer a prayer, or revival comes, and God stays His hand of judgment. But I don't think that you can find, and I'm certainly, uh, nothing comes to mind, of a time in the Scripture where God uh, has allowed the process of judgment to start where He stopped it prematurely. There was all types and kinds of opportunity for it to be avoided by a repentant spirit. But once it began, it ran its course. It accomplished what God intended for it to accomplish. Uh, and what I'm trying to get to this morning is just the idea that as we sat this week on Sunday last week and through Wednesday night, and we heard message after message of, that, that stirred our hearts and brought us to a point of decision so that we might be revived in our heart, that have we yet made a decision? Have, did you weather the storm of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? To come this morning the same as you were when you entered last week. Because none of us should be the same now as we were a week ago. None of us should be in the same position spiritually as we were in a week ago. And God here in Lamentations is pouring out his heart uh, and or is pouring out his judgment after they were reject after he was once again rejected. God has loved them. He's protected them throughout their history. He has provided for them even in times of persecution. He has prospered them as they have gone out into the places that God has sent them. He's given them power. At times in their nation, He's given them moments of great influence on their neighbors and the world, uh, on the world around them. He has continually demonstrated His love toward His people. 
By the way, if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, may I say that God will continually demonstrate His love to you. But He also wants our heart. And even in our sin, He demonstrates that love by chastening, as a father chastens his child. See, punishing our children and guiding and training our children is not an act of, uh, or it should never be an act of frustration on the parent's part. It should be uh, born out of a heart of love to set that child on the correct course for life. To correct action that is wrong and to set an uh, attitude and a spirit that will honor God. And God has prospered them. He has demonstrated His love for them. And yet somehow, though God and His Great compassion and mercy has warned and loved and provided and guided. Somehow, that God was not enough for them. Now, it's easy for us to sit back and to look and to say, you know, well, you know, how in the world could they experience all that God has done for them and God was not enough for them? And I would stop and reflect and say in in turn, in application to us today, how could we? experience all that God demonstrates to us and God not be enough for us. But yet we sit here every week, week in and week out, and we make big deals out of trivial matters and we get frustrated with things that really shouldn't be a big issue and we uh, we go through life picking and, and, and finding uh, faults and flaws with our employer or with our, this family member or that family member or my Sunday school teacher or my uh, deacon or the pastor or what have you. We, we're just hardwired in our sin nature to not enjoy automatically the goodness of God, but to let our minds and our hearts feed on those things that, uh, that, that draw us away from Him. And, and how could we? Wander off into sin. How could we wander off and be persistent in the satisfying of our flesh and be unwilling to die to self and to engage in a life with the Lord Jesus Christ and to live the life that He's given us and called us and commanded us to live, the life that He empowers us to live for His glory and to do so with great joy and with the power of the Spirit of God that our lives (coughs) might make a difference For the cause of Christ. How can we experience all of the goodness of God, all of the love of God, all of the grace of God, and yet, somehow, God not be enough for us? Israel is here and they've gone through this turmoil and God somehow is not enough for them. It's a lot like a marriage, and God demonstrates this in the metaphor of a marriage throughout the book of, uh, of or not metaphor, but it actually had the prophet Hosea marry uh, a, a woman who was a prostitute just uh, to be a picture, to be an example of what Israel has done for her. But consider a marriage where the husband loves his bride. Uh, he uh, His every thought of, of her, all of his labor is for her, and his every action proclaims his love for her, yet somehow... Uh, He is not enough for her, and she turns from him to another, to one who is unfaithful, to one who is abusive, to one who is selfish. And though she suffers, she chooses the one who wastes her rather than the one who worships her. The essence is, is that the way that many of us choose to live the Christian life is that we demonstrate that same tendency that rather than be drawn to the one who loves us, who gives everything for us, who draws us to himself, 
We reject him for one who would waste us, who would consume us, who would abuse us uh, in this life. This reflects Israel's relationship with God, and it reflects the life and the relationship that many Christians today have with God. God did everything possible, yet we turned from Him. In Isaiah chapter number 5, and verse number 4, He said, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that I should bring forth grape, that it should bring forth grapes, it brought it forth wild grapes. God said, I went to my vineyard, Israel. I, I pruned it. I fertilized it. I groomed it. I weeded it. I got everything everything that could be done to make it productive, to make it produce, to make it uh, beautiful was done. Nothing was spared, yet it produced not the grapes that I intended, but the wild grapes. And how many times do our lives produce wild grapes, sinful grapes, sinful fruit, rather uh, than the fruit that God would have it to produce. Uh, and so as we consider this this morning in our text, he says, remember, O Lord, in verse 1, what is come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. They are in a bad state here. Everything that they've known has been ruined. Notice that he says that our, uh, our in verse number, uh, it talks about that they're orphans and fatherless, that their homes have been given to strangers, to, uh, to aliens or those that are from another nation, the nations that conquered them. And verse 2 and verse 5, our necks are under persecution. We labor and have no rest. Uh, and then he talks about some of the nations. He says in verse 7, our fathers have sinned and are not. They, they are dead. They're gone. They passed on. And we have borne their iniquities. Servants have ruled over us. Our bread, we get our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. They, they ravished or raped the women in Zion or in Jerusalem. And the maids in the cities. The princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of the elders were not ordered. They took the young men to grind. The children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate. They do not even have the honor of their own self-governance. All of their self-governance and their uh, leadership met at the gate. The city's business was transacted at the gate. All that has ceased. Verse 4, he said, We have drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold unto us. Even the water that, that belonged to them, that they brought in, the wood that they harvested, they had to turn around and pay for. Their own things. Judgment has come. Verse 15, The joy of our heart has ceased, and our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have Sin. Finally here, they acknowledge their own sin. They acknowledged and sought forgiveness for the sins of their father. Here they now acknowledge the sin of their own sin. You know, somehow we've come to evaluate our relationship with God by the task that we do. But what he's demonstrating here is that it's about the relationship that we have with him. You see, the focus here is on not is here is on the task, but not on God. But the problem is, is that in the doing of the task, we lose touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so much, so many times we overemphasize the doing of a task rather than the reason and the relationship that motivates the actions. Our actions then have no value to us or to Him. The satisfaction that we seek in our Christian lives cannot be found in the titles of position or in tasks performed. It must be found in a relationship with Jesus all along the way. And so many times we're kind of hardwired to think if I get through this and I accomplish this and I do this, then I'll arrive at my destination and at my destination is joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. But that's not what God intends. God wants us to find satisfaction, fulfillment and joy in the journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the relationship that we have along the way. It's about engaging with Him uh, and living for Him and Him living through us. And finally, in verse number 21, as He comes uh, and, and, and has pointed out that we must seek the Lord, not recognition or duty. Uh, and if we do, then we'll find joy. In verse 21, He says, Turn thou us unto thee. He's gone through all of the lists, all of the problems, all the devastation, all the destruction, all of the heartbreaking heart-wrenching, life-ruining details of what they're experiencing. And now he says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Renew our authority. Renew our leadership. Renew our joy. Renew our spirit. Renew our substance. Renew our living. Renew our sovereignty. (coughs) David said it this way in Psalm 51 in verses 10 through 12, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. What God is trying to get across here and what they are expressing here is God turn us. Now they've finally gotten off of the idea of God, would you, would you defeat our enemy? Would you, would you ease our pain? Would you take away our suffering? And they've changed finally to an attitude of God, would you turn us unto thee? So many times we come to a point in life when God's Holy Spirit is bearing down on us and God's Word is illuminating to us uh, the, the failures of our Christian life and our, our seeking out the pleasures of this world and sin and rather than embracing what God has for us and being obedient to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts and lives as we uh, gather together and worship and worship at home and and go through this life, and finally they get it. Finally it sinks in. Finally they understand. Turn us to you, O God. How long, Christian, has it been since you came to a place in your life where you felt the burden and the weight of your sin, or you suffered the agony of the chastening hand of a loving God, where it finally brought us to our knees, where we turned to Him and said, Turn us, God, to you. We often find ourselves in those positions and we go to God and we say, God, would you make me better? Would you take away my sickness? Would you take away my aches? Would you take away my pain? Would you restore my heart? But now we we understand as they come that before any of that can take place, I must acknowledge my sin and restore the relationship. 
Revival in the heart of a Christian, revival in the heart of a church is all about restoration of a relationship with the Lord. Say, Pastor, you mean all this time we go through life we have no relationship with God? And that's not what I'm saying. There are a lot of relationships that we have in our life that are broken, that are nowhere near what they could be or should be. What I'm saying this morning is we've gone through now this week of revival that we need to open our hearts to the idea and consider the possibility that perhaps the relationship that I enjoy or have right now with God is not all that it could be. To create and develop us in a heart to be drawn close to Him, one that makes us seek to desire to please Him. We ought to do things for our spouses that... Uh, that we do not because it's an obligation, because we simply want to show love or an appreciation or uh, to meet a need, not because it's demanded, expected, or acting, but because we simply want to express love. God wants that same relationship with us this morning. We look at Lamentations verse 5 and 21, and we shall be turned. Turn us uh, unto thee, O Lord May I say to you this morning that he did not leave us, we left him. There's a song that's titled, Where is Jesus? And just the chorus of it kind of gives the idea, where is Jesus? Did I leave him far behind? Did I take for granted he was there walking with me all the time? Where is Jesus? To find him once again, I must return to the place where I left him. And I would say this morning that God has not left us. God has not forsaken us. God, no matter what the state of your relationship with the Lord is, is that He has not left and He has not forsaken. He is there. Even in a time of chastening, even in a time of admonishment, God is there. He's there leaning. He's there loving. He's there drawing. He didn't leave us, but sometimes we leave Him. If you've left him this morning, the best thing that you could do is just return to him. So, Pastor, where do I find him? I'm going to help you with that this morning just a little bit here. Gypsy Smith was once asked, a great evangelist of uh, of long since past generation, but he was once asked as he was getting ready to start a series of meetings, how uh, do we start a revival? He answered very simply. He said, this is what you do. He said, you go home. He said, you lock yourself in your room. And get down in the middle of your floor and kneel. Get you a piece of chalk. Take it. Start with your right hand and draw it around as far as you can. Reach around with your left hand and grab it and bring that circle all the way around. And start praying for God to bring revival. And when God has answered your prayer, then revival has begun. And how many times do we seek reviving of the Spirit of God in our church, in our ministry, in our hearts, in the lives of people that we think need it? when we fail to realize that if revival would come, that it must start right here with me. That the true reviving begins and great revivals begin in the hearts of individuals. And as they come together, God begins to do something great in our lives. In Lamentations, they said, turn us Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord. And medicine. we don't need to turn to anything or anyone other than the Lord to be revived. Then he went on and said, And we shall be turned, renew our days as of old. Our vision of the relationship that God wants with us cannot be limited by the relationship that we have seen Him have with others. 
Sometimes we confine God to the idea of what we've seen God do in other places or in other lives or with other people. And that is an erroneous way to look at and to experience relationship with God. It ought not be looked at outside of your own heart, your own life. Your relationship with God should never be compared to someone else's relationship with God. Seek to have all of God that you can obtain, but you'll do that by giving God all that you have to give. So we come together this morning as we consider this truth. It must be defined, revival must be defined, relationship with God must be defined on a personal level. No one else can get saved for me. No one else can trust Jesus Christ as my Savior on my behalf, nor can anyone else turn me from my sin and back to God that I might embrace all that God has for me. It's personal. My attitude is that I've been there and I've done that, then I'll never experience a relationship that God has for me. And so many times in a church like ours, and listen, our church is just a group of people that have been hurt and wounded uh, and in a lot of places and fundamentalism all over the place. I, I've never ceased to step back and be amazed at how God has kind of made this place just a, a harbor for those who have been in, in bad leadership and abusive church situations over the course of the years in many different places. Uh, and I look at that and I consider that this morning, I would say, if my attitude about serving God, if my attitude about being involved in ministry, if my attitude about having a relationship with God is, I, and Brother Davison addressed this in one of the messages this week in kind of a different way, uh, but if my attitude is, hey, I've already done that, Pastor. I've already been there, Pastor. I've already experienced that, Pastor. And all I got for my trouble was betrayed or hurt or unappreciated. If that's my attitude, I'll never experience what God has for me. If that's my, uh, if that's my approach, then I'll, I'll never in, uh, come to a place where I really receive all that God has for me. He says here, renew our days as of old. The word renew here, there are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are translated renew. And there are four words in Greek that are translated renew in the New Testament. Those words essentially mean the same thing as you would expect. They mean to be new or to rebuild. The idea of renovation is woven throughout that. It also means to hasten away or to abolish, to alter or change. In other words, sometimes before I can be made new, then the old has to be torn down and removed. Hey, listen, the, the idea is this, that if I would be made new, if my relationship with God would be renewed, if my spirit with, the, with God would be re-energized, then if I have sin in my life that has come between God and I, then before that renewal can happen, then that old has to be torn down and cleared away so that there is a place for a new foundation to be built and for God to go to work. If we were to uh, go through when we had experienced Harvey into the uh, into this other wing over here and we had to set out in there and we just started putting uh, new sheetrock over the old, wet, soggy, moldy sheetrock, then we wouldn't have anything but problems. And we stripped it out, we dried it out, and still because of moisture that seeps through the foundation, sometimes we have problems. But, uh, but uh, to the best of our ability, all of the old damage was cleared away and new was reconstructed. And that's the same way it is in our hearts, friends. 
I, I cannot cling to myself and my sin and say, okay, God, do something in my heart. Fellowship with me. Lead me. Guide me. I cannot do that unless I'm willing to say, God, would you bring in the sledgehammer and remove the sin from my life and so that you can build cleanly and freshly upon my heart and what you want to accomplish in me. <coughs> Turn thou unto thee. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old to renovate, to reform. It is an intense repetition that is new in freshness in our walk with God as our spirit is renewed with Him. Three thoughts this morning. First, I would ask you to consider that if I would be renewed, if I would have the right spirit, the spirit and the life that God wants me to enjoy with Him, if I would have my joy returned, and if I would have happiness and my crown restored, uh, or in other words, my, uh, my, my successful walk and journey with God restored, then there are some things that have to take place in my life. Number one, consider that I must approach this with the right spirit. I must come to God with the right spirit. See, the problem is, is that in Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were going through all of the, uh, all of the things of worship. If you go back, and we don't have for sake of time this morning, we can't do that, but if you go back especially uh, to the early chapters of Jeremiah, of, of Isaiah, uh, they're, they're going through and God is telling them, you're making the sacrifices. You are, you are religious. But I reject your religion. I reject your sacrifice. Because your sacrifice is not being offered with the right motive, with a pure heart. And he looks and so many times we just do what is going to cause us to be accepted by man uh, rather than pleasing God. And we must approach God with the right spirit. And they do that here in verse 21. They come to him, turn thou us unto thee. It is no longer take away my problem. It is turn me back to you, O God. They come with the right spirit. Psalm 51 and verse number 10, uh, just w- one more time this morning. Psalm 51 and verse number 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If I do not have a correct spirit, then the Holy Spirit of God cannot commune and fellowship with me. Renew a right spirit within me. Now, two thoughts about this when we talk about here is that first, if I am here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, before you can ever entertain or engage in this type of a relationship with God, a a relationship in which He loves you and leads you and fathers you uh, and guides you and provides for you and all of the things that we desire in that relationship, then that relationship must be a new relationship. It doesn't start, hey, it's not about, hey, well, I've been getting better and now I've kind of reached that point where I'm good enough that I can enter into a relationship with God. No, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen, if I would enter into the right relationship with God, it has to start with knowing that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. 
that I have turned from my sin, that I have repented of my sin, that I have found a godly sorrow in my sin that has drawn me to God. And as God then draws me even closer and reveals to me that I am a sinner and that there's nothing that I can do to reconcile the relationship, but He's already done what was necessary. And He draws me in and says now that your heart is seeing that you need Me if you will put your faith and your trust in Me. Then you will be reborn. That Spirit in you will be made alive again. And we can have fellowship and we can have communion. And I would say this morning that I must begin a new relationship with the Lord if I've never trusted Him as my Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I trusted Jesus as my Savior years ago, but I really haven't walked with Him. I haven't been faithful to Him. I haven't honored Him. May I say to you, friends, that the relationship that you have doesn't need to be a new relationship, but it does need to be a renewed relationship. A relationship that you come to Him with the right spirit and seek His forgiveness and seek uh, to be reconciled unto Him. A new relationship. I also must come with a new perspective. A new perspective in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 23. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 23. uh, He tells us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I must be renewed. If I would be drawn back to God, if God would be set back on the throne of my heart, I must approach Him not with the perspective of this world, and not with the perspective of my friends, and not with the perspective uh, of my co-workers, but with a biblical perspective of what God's expectations are. We live in a time when we've got issues in our life, and we've got sin in our life, and we've got problems that we are more concerned about what our friends think, about what our uh, what the bloggers think, and about what our friends on social media think than we are about what God thinks. And so many times, somebody's dealing with an issue. They've got uh, maybe that's a parenting thing, or maybe it's a a, a relationship thing with a spouse. And uh, and rather than going to what the Bible says, we're on the phone, or we're on, uh, or we're sending a text to uh, maybe a, a someone that we know in our life, or a friend that's kind of going through a similar circumstance, or is at the same life stage, and uh, and. And we don't even really consider or care how good or how well they're doing what they do. We just know, hey, they're about where I am. Maybe they can give me some advice. How foolish. To go to man's opinion and man's advice and man's devices rather than turning to the one who designed us all. See, we have to come with a renewed spirit. Forget about what your friends think. Forget about what your co-workers think. Forget about uh, what the uh, what the secular writers think. Forget about all of those things and just understand that the perspective that I need is not a new perspective or a different perspective from the world, but a biblical perspective about what God has to say on the subject. The right spirit. The right spirit puts me in a new or a renewed relationship with my God, depending on need. And it gives me a renewed perspective, a new perspective, a biblical perspective. If you look at the at the at the world around us through the prism of a uh, of a secular worldview, then you will be led all kinds of places that God doesn't want you to go, and it'll all make sense to you, and it'll all seem reasonable because it's being viewed through the wrong paradigm. What I need this morning 
is to take off the glasses of this world and to put on the glasses of God's Word that I might see things from a biblical perspective. I need this morning a biblical worldview that I might be brought and have the opportunity to have a loving relationship with my God that pleases Him. First, we see that they had to come with a right spirit. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord. Secondly, they came to the right source. Turn thou us. They stopped trying to turn themselves. They stopped trying to justify themselves. They stopped trying to solve their problem on their own. They came to the right source. They came to the one who had the power to change them. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, And ye have put and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Listen, we are to be after the one and in the image of the one who created us. God saved our soul that he might make us into the image of our Savior. Three thoughts about this quickly. The right source begins with a renewed altar. The right source begins with a renewed altar. Consider 2 Chronicles chapter number 15 and verse number 8 and the reforms under King Asa. And when Asa heard of these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And I would say this morning that if I go to the right source, if I go to my God and I stop trying to reform myself and allow God to transform my heart, then that will begin with a new altar, a place and a time where I come before God with an open and a vulnerable heart and say as David did in the Psalms, examine me, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. The world will convince us, our flesh will convince us that we're all right, that our ways aren't wicked, but compared to God. And his opinions, friends, is the one that matters. Come to the right source. It begins with a renewed altar. You need perhaps to renew your altar at home. Have you spent any time with the Lord this week outside of a church service? Have you spent any time with the Lord this week outside of this page of a devotional book? So I'm not against those things, but that ought not be the entirety of your walk with God outside of the church house. It's a great place to start. But if that's all you're getting then no wonder we struggle to come before Him and to have a renewed altar, a time of, uh, of fellowship and a time of prayer and a time where God is uh, given an opportunity and it's quiet to speak to us that we might lead Him and follow Him. Renew the altar. Allow Him to tear down uh, the idols, the altars of the idols in our life. Well, Pastor, I don't bow down to any idols. <clears throat> you may not have a statue in the corner of your living room. But anything that we put before God becomes an idol. You realize in the day and age in which we live that many people, are their, their children are their idols? Say, so, Pastor, we're not supposed to love our children? Absolutely, we're supposed to love our children. But when I put my children before God, they're out of place. And I will not be for them what they need me to be. I cannot give to them what they need me to give. I must put things in order. 
I must come to God and say, take away the idols of my heart. For some place, some people, their job is their idol. The things, their possessions become their idol. Their life is nothing more than a pursuit of the possession of things. I'm all for working hard, uh, but we need to keep things in the right perspective. If, my, if I'm so busy that I can't serve God, if I'm so busy that I have no time or energy left for a relationship with God, uh, then my life will end up tragically. And it may not manifest itself in my life. It might manifest itself in the lives of my child or my grandchild. And we need to stop looking at life through the prism of today and tomorrow and next week and look at it at the perspective of years and generations down the road. What course has my life set the generations of my family on? Brother Davison gave a wonderful testimony about how the generations of his family, all the way back to, uh, to, to uh, the 1800s when they first came uh, from Europe, how they've been pastor and preacher and, uh, and servants of God all throughout the years. That's not my testimony. I don't want the future, the trajectory of my next generation to be the trajectory that God had to turn my generation around from. Now, I'm grateful and thank God that he did. And thank God and praise the Lord that my mom and my stepfather and, uh, and brother Ed and Miss Rita and those, that stage of their life and their, uh, and their late 20s and early 30s uh, found a real relationship with the Lord that began the process of turning what our families had been for generations before. But you, we need to live our lives and lead our families intentionally with the idea in mind of what am I setting the stage for for the generations to come? A right source. A renewed altar. At a renewed altar we find renewed strength. Renewed strength. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 31. And many in here could quote the verse. Isaiah chapter 40. In verse number 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But the key here is waiting upon the Lord. Verse number 1 of chapter 41, Keep silence before me, O, Israel, o islands, and let the people renew their strength, and let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Renewed altar, at a renewed altar we begin to find renewed strength, but it doesn't come immediately. It takes time for it to build. I can't go out and be run down and, uh, and live uh, my life in a way to which I'm cut off from God and I grow weak over the years and then all of a sudden I, I decide, God, my life is here, my life is yours, I'm at this altar renewing my heart for you. God, would you take... <coughs> take control and God says yes that doesn't mean that I've got the strength to go out and fight the battle immediately brother David gave me a good report about his about his uh, sister Debbie's recovery they finally after months properly diagnosed her heart condition and she spent weeks in intensive care she had multiple 
heart procedures and stents put in and no relief and just the problem continuing time after time to to, to return because the, the problem wasn't really solved and uh, the diagnosis wasn't properly given until finally on the last episode when they thought that they might even lose her again, uh, they, they finally found the doctor that understood the problem and they fixed it and they're treating it. And this week she went to Miss Molly's house and stayed the whole day. She got cleared to start walking on a treadmill so she can start to rebuild strength. But she's still got weeks ahead of her. Brother Paul, it's good to see Brother Paul able to be in the service back there in the back. It's only the third service that he's been able to attend since January the 20th. Is that right? Had to switch a side over here. It's not as much traffic over there. It's a little bit easier to take. He's got his hands full. His nerve limits are always at the, at the brink of the limit because he, he can't get a break from Miss Debbie anymore. He can't go to work and get that time away. And so he came into his normal spot and 90% of all the traffic that goes in and out of this room goes through those doors over there. So I said, well, Brother Paul, let me try you over here. Let's see how that works. I think we worked out a little better back here. Brother Paul's come a long way Amen. since that Sunday night over here in this corner when the stroke hit him. But he's still got a long way to go. He's got a lot more strength now than he had a month ago. He's got a lot more ability to communicate than he had two months ago. But he's still got a long way to go. My point is simply this, is that when my spirit is compromised and when my spiritual condition has been weakened for a prolonged period of time. God's forgiveness is instantaneous and God can give strength miraculously in a moment if he chooses to, but I need to wake up and realize the fact that if I have let myself drift gradually in my walk with God be weakened, that just because I sit down and pray and have a real time of of fellowship with God one time or for one week doesn't mean that I have gotten all the way back to where I ought to be for the glory of God. There is a work that's going on in my heart. There's a work that's going on in my life. There's a need in my life that brings me to a place where I have to come to God with the right spirit and I have to come to God to the right source, not to uh, to a friend and not to the world, but to my God. And that begins with being and renewing my altar. And at the altar, He renews my strength and He renews my strength by renewing my diet. When you get sick, when you're down, what you eat is of utmost importance. And generally, and that would mean for me all the things that I barely can choke down on a good day. My favorite vegetable is the cocoa bean. My favorite fruit is a cocoa bean. My... If it's green, it's difficult. But it's important. A renewed diet. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 in verse number 16. For which cause we faint not, nor though, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Day by day. A daily walk with God, a daily renewal, a daily diet on God's word and in fellowship with him. They came with the right spirit. Again, Lamentations chapter 5, turn thou us. Turn thou us unto 
thee. Their spirit was right. They came to the right source. And then they began to do the right service. We can serve God without God. We can do the things that we as a religious entity have deemed service to God without having a relationship with God. You can drive one of the vans. You can work in the sound booth. You can work with a children's class. You can greet someone in the parking lot and have absolutely no real relationship with God. But all it's doing is consuming your time. Or I can come to God with the right spirit and I can come to the correct source to set my life on the proper course and then I can begin to serve him correctly. The right service. A service that pleases God. You see, in early Isaiah, there's all kinds of service that God rejected. All the things that God commanded in exactly the fashion in which He commanded them. No detail was left undone. Everything, every procedure was followed. Yet God looked at them and said, I reject you. I reject your worship. I reject your service. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through the effort to come to church every week and have God look down from heaven and say, you're here and you're singing and you're worshiping me, but I reject you. I reject you because your motive is wrong. I reject you because you're just trying to check your boxes so you feel good about yourself. I reject you because you've made this all about a bunch of things to do rather than the relationship with me. And you've done all of these things and created relationships with people, but you've left me out of the equation. It's not the relationship that God wants us to have. We need to serve Him in His way, in His fashion. What is that, Pastor? Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. that altar again. Only He doesn't want us to bring an animal to an altar to sacrifice that Jesus already offered Himself, the Lamb of God, once for all. What He wants is the sacrifice of my life and the sacrifice of your life on His altar. He doesn't want to take your life. He wants to use your life for His glory. But He cannot use what has not been offered to Him. He cannot work in a heart that has not been opened to Him. He cannot produce and conduct the business of God in heaven in in the life of one that has sealed Himself from Him. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. It's not anything grand that God asks for. It's only reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are in display to the world around us. We must be proving the truth of God. The right service The right service is changed by love. The right service we see here, a sacrifice cannot be offered. A life will not be offered to one that we do not love. Uh, We do not offer our lives in sacrifice to God simply because we do not truly love God. There are a lot of things that we sacrifice as parents for our children that we consider no real sacrifice. Because of love. There are a lot of things that we do for our spouse 
that really, truly are tremendous sacrifice. But the doing of it is no sacrifice because it's an act of love. See, so many things we do for God and we feel as if, okay, God, I've done this great thing for you. Now you've got to do something great for me. But when's the last time that I came before God and I humbled myself before God and I came to God in the right spirit and I came to God uh, with at the right source with a renewed altar and a renewed strength and a renewed diet and I came to serve Him correctly. But now my motive for service is transformed. It has been changed. I am not doing so that He will stop judgment I am not doing so that he will pat me on the head I am not doing so those around me will look and say what a good servant of God I am doing because I'm simply expressing my love to the one who has expressed his love to me changed by love I cannot have my heart changed by love and my life changed by love without it affecting how I respond to his commands said pastor they were keeping the commands of God yes they were but with the wrong motive. But now they want to be restored. Notice what he said in John chapter 14 and verse number 15 and verse number 21. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. We can keep the commandments without loving him, but you can't love him without keeping his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, Jesus said again, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him I will make myself known in your life if you will love me do we love him this morning the right service commands that are kept because of love not because of because of uh, of pressure not because of uh, trying to please man he will manifest himself to us. He says in John chapter 15 and verse number 10, If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you want to get right with God and stay right with God? Do you want to entertain and enter into a relationship with God that is pure and exciting and real and joyful and stay there? How often do we have to have multiple revival meetings on the church calendar because generally speaking, all of us within the church are, are up one day and a high, happy serving God and down in the valley the next and up and we're down. And it's not, do you want to just sometimes get tired of the roller coaster and want to say, I just want to get right with God. I just want to get in step with God. I just want to stay in tune with God and stay there. I don't want to be down. I don't want to be compromised. I don't want sin to take over my life what he tells us right here. He tells us, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The difference is, am I keeping his commandments because I just want to get, or am I keeping his commandments because I want to express my love? Israel is in peril. They are scattered they are under a heavy burden and yoke and lamentations. Jeremiah is weeping and lamenting the destruction of the city which he loves and his people. And the people finally at the end of this judgment come to God and say, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. 
I would say to you this morning, rediscover the love relationship with God that you long for because he longs to have that relationship with you. How do I do it, Pastor? Come to him in the right spirit. Come to the right source for renewal. Live with the right service to express love. What do I do, Pastor? Well, come to the altar. Go to your prayer closet at home. Figuratively, come to a place where you can just get alone with God. Get your piece of chalk and begin to draw your circle. Start praying, God, would you come fellowship with me? Would you search my heart? Would you draw me to you? Would you be my God and make me your child? Not in name, but in deed and in practicality. And stay there until he answers the prayer. For when that prayer is answered, then revival has come. Father, as we close this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd meet with us now and that you would finish the work in our hearts that were begun last Sunday. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to respond to you. I pray that you would draw our hearts to you. They may, Lord, may we grow weary of going through the motions of the Christian life. May we come before you with a new hunger and a new desire to draw close to you simply because we love you. Lord, may we not reject your love as Israel did and Judah did. May we embrace it. And Lord, wherever we are this morning, if we're someone that's never trusted you as Savior that needs to begin that relationship this morning, or perhaps we're someone that we have had a relationship in the past, but we know in our heart that it's nowhere near what it could be or should be for you. Lord, would you compel us, Holy Spirit? Would you bring your heavy conviction upon us that we might hunker down?